welcome to another episode of Can I Pull You for a Chat. Each episode, we invite our guests to bring a topic currently capturing their imagination, and we discuss that topic at length. And I'm your host, Glow, and joining me on the other end of the line is my co-host, Eos. Eos, welcome back. Hello, hello. Thank you for um, joining me, Gloria and Ashley. Um, Ashley, we're really excited to have you. It's nice to see your face also. I haven't seen your face in a while. Um, I'm really excited to talk about reality TV and such with y'all because it's kind of been a new part of my life um, since the pandemic started. So, and it's been fun. So love to talk about it. Welcome, Schley. Thank you guys for having me. So excited to be here. All right. Um, let's get started on our icebreaker, which we have taken from the MIT random generator on the Google that uh, creates a museum exhibition title um, out of like random words that sound like super academic and pompous. So uh, I think what we should do is we should all do the thing and then we should propose the show, the exhibition to each other and see if we can like back it up, you know? Um, Ashley, do you wanna, do you wanna kick it off? Sure. So the name of my show is post-colonial rubbish, the dysfunction of dysfunction of dysfunction. So mine can't top that. We're going to stick with yours. I love it. So what this show is, is really about this show is about, you think about when you think about colonialism, you think of, you know, trade, you think of people finding goods, you think of, um, you know, people being transported to, to far off lands to farm goods. But what, but what's not talked about is the trash that's left behind by these settlers. When you think about someone like, you know, John Smith coming to this, the United States, John Rawls, you know, you hear about, um, you know, the, the pillage and, and true genocide that they committed on, you know, our native people. But what people don't talk about enough is, you know, the, the maybe scraps of things that they left behind, you know, what rubbish did they leave and how in fact dysfunctional was it? Um, and so, and dysfunction is in fact dysfunctional. So that's why we have to double down on the, you know, that's where we get the dysfunction of dysfunction. And so this, this, this show really speaks to, to hopefully shed light on this, this, this oft looked over um, aspect of, of um a dark time in our our nation's history mm. i'm sold I'm, I'm sold oh what medium is this show in that <laughs> illustrates the dysfunction that's, of dysfunction oh, dysfunction that's a that's a great question so it's a mix of um it's a mix of found objects and interpretive dance so you know <laughs> you might have a piece of cloth that you know john john roll or john rolf had left in you know, I think that's his name. I'm thinking of the one of the found settlers of America. I think it's John Rolfe. I don't know. Um, <laughs> they, like, you think about, you know, he brought over a thing of cheese mm. on the boat. He so had a cloth on it. He has what some cheese of- cloth that he left around. So mm. we're incorporating that. We also have a, a group of dancers who are going to be, you know, speaking from the perspective of the cheese cloth and how it was brought across. <laughs> So and how it reflects the fabric of society. Totally yeah, meshy, very lots of gaps. 
and the deep dysfunction that comes from <laughs> said cheesecloth, you know. Just wanna I'm sold. I am like very mm-hmm. into it. Book me a ticket immediately. Yeah. And I bet the tickets are expensive, again, as per dysfunctional colonialism. <laughs> I, yeah. Yes, it's it's an immersive exhibit that you you know it costs about fifty dollars. It's about a seven minute long um, <laughs> performance. Um, coming to the Whitney, shout out to the Whitney. I love that yeah. so much. My current one is breaking dreams. A retros- a retrospective of damage. So oh. yeah, so like really, it's actually a sequel to Ashley Shaw. <laughs> Now, so you have all this trash that is, you know, often overlooked. But now what we want another aspect of this colonial history that is often overlooked, them dreams. Like you just like the dreams of all those people who are on the ships, the people who they found, and of course, the object. So the what I would really... Uh, the cheesecloth, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah. Yes. So like, wh- what could that cheesecloth have been if not for colonialism, what could that person have been if not for colonialism, you know? We're really trying to explore the potential of those dreams that were broken by colonialism through ways of, um, I really like the idea of dance, I like painting, and you can really kind of re-give these objects and these people a new future, re-imagine it. So now instead of this cheese existing as something that came with drone rolls, now it has an entire identity of itself. It has a future. So I feel like this could be a great way to heal. I love this. And I Thank think that, you. It, you know, it's it's in the long tradition of using allegory to get mm-hmm. people who are uncomfortable with certain topics to engage in those topics by using the cheesecloth as the um, the one whose journey and story we're looking into and such using that cheesecloth as like your little case study for like more people and all the people whose dreams were crushed by colonialism. Because mm-hmm. what are we if not if not all cheesecloth? You know, Indeed. yes, yeah, we're all chair? each we're each a strand on that cheesecloth. You know, yes, weaving together the fabric of society. <laughs> Thank you, mm-hmm. and scene, <laughs> and scene. All right, <laughs> uh, we are going to recover from that. We'll also let you recover from that with this quick break, and we'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone. And for this main uh, section of the podcast, we are going to attempt to be more serious, more learned. We're, I'm kidding. We're, we're not going to do that. But we will try. <laughs> so today's uh, the meat, the main course. Uh, Ashley Forte has brought us a wonderful topic, all things reality show as and the kind of societies that they create and how they can further illuminate how we understand our own society. But a little less for me and more from Ashley to give us the goods. Ashley, tell us more. Yeah, so I was kind of thinking about this because I was like, okay, what is something that I thoroughly enjoy and like talking about? Um, And that being reality TV. But I think also specifically, I've been watching a lot of, um, well, Love, Love Island. That is, you know, we'll be talking about. But more recently, I've been watching a lot of Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. And these women are Mormon. They're fascinating because like, and it makes me think about how like, oh, from this show about these like, 
house, like these like women who are these like, you know, ostensibly like a show about like, you know, wealth and all of these things. I'm like learning so much about like the Mormon church and like people negotiating religion and all these things. So then that kind of made me think like more broadly, like reality TV, like what are we, you know, as a person who loves sociology, loves stuff like that, like how can we understand like and kind of bring an academic kind of lens to those things and how we, you know, they're thinking about things like race and gender and class and everything in between. And um, so, yeah, I think that's kind of what brought me to this one article about Love Island that um, I found it's about season four um, and it speaks specifically to, um, let me find the title of it. It is called um, Learning from Love Island, Diversification of the Hegemonic Man by Kitty Nichols from the University of Sheffield. And so what I found was really interesting about this article is just it's um, bringing this lens of understanding hegemonic masculinity and gender to um, Love Island, which is a show that is one of my favorites. It's one of the most addicting shows out there. It's literally probably also one of the most, you know, it's not, It's I wouldn't call it highbrow culture in a lot of ways. So. <laughs> I think what I mean by all of this is that I'm I'm finding ways to rationalize the mass amounts of time that I'm spending watching and thinking about these shows, and um, I'm excited to try to help you also appease my own um, <laughs> brain about this. Your scary habits. So yeah, yes. there's where can be your enablers. Yes, thank you. Um, and true. oh, for love for those who don't know, Love Island is a British show. We're not going to talk about the American mess um, on this one, but Love Island is a show in which I believe it's like six men and six women are brought into a villa in Mallorca, Spain, where they live. They're kind of the goal of the show being to couple up throughout this villa or else they can risk being eliminated from the island. And they are always bringing in new contenders. For the grand prize of $50,000. Yeah. yeah. The winner can either keep for themselves or split with their partner. Fifty thousand yeah, pounds is not a lot yeah, of money. Pounds. It's yeah, not. it's not. <laughs> okay, I now think the money comes right split. from the endorsements and everything that comes out of Love mm-hmm. Island. Okay, now my question is: Is it fifty thousand pounds pre-tax? Is that taxed as income? <laughs> or is it yeah. taxed as that's a, a bonus? Question. Because if it's, I, I don't know what British tax rates are, but that, yeah, that's, that's a true. bonus in the U.S. That's thirty k. Yeah, and you're splitting it between, well, you're also splitting it between, you know, the couple that win. Like, if you're win as, winning as a couple, so you're really yeah. only getting 25k pre-tax, and then, so. Okay, so, the monetary incentive is not great, but it, you do get the endorsements after, well, a number of contestants get fun endorsements after that will eventually be more, worth more than 50k. Brilliant. So I want to start before we get into the academic part of what we can understand from Love Island. We're all Love Island watchers. Uh, Eos, even a more recent Love Island watcher. Welcome, welcome. Do you guys have a favorite season? That's a good question. I I mean, season five was the first season I watched. So that's always going to be like, like, you know, near and dear to my heart. It's like a first mm-hmm. child to an extent, you know, so you, you know, you're always going to have a little, you know. You're always going to compare everything against that yardstick, but I don't know. I've seen, yeah, I've, I've seen a lot of the kind of like middle range three, four, and five are like my favorites. I um, I have yet to watch three because I know I've heard that that one's a great one, um, but I have mm-hmm. only watched season five and 
seven is the most recent one, right? Yeah, I think, I think seven so. Is, yeah, yeah, the one with yeah. uh, Faye and Faye and Teddy and all them. Yeah. Um. So season five was my introduction, really, to reality TV. I think I'd watched like at friends houses growing up like a little bit of reality tv if like it was on their tv but i was never into it not even in college um but then quarantine you know and i started watching love highland at the behest of gloria i believe and that show just sucks you in um just like wow but i really liked season seven i love Faye and teddy and like all the drama there Faye cracks me up this and the producers did her dirty. That poor woman. <laughs> anyway. The producers do everyone dirty. That's, That's like the yeah. universal understanding of Love Island. But I think yeah. season three is my favorite for sure. Like mm-hmm. hands down. I've like rewatched it. That's how bad it is. Like I <laughs> well, well, in my defense, I was trying to get somebody else to watch it. I'm just like, I'll watch a couple of episodes with you and then a couple of episodes turned into half a season <laughs> of rewatching. But I also did that recently. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and our listeners will be glad to know that our, our name is actually <laughs> pulled from Love Island. Yes, it the is. The infamous, can I pull you for a chat line of Love Island. <laughs> so that really, we hope to strike and straddle that line. Of straddle, <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> the kind of quality of Love Island, but now, you know, a little sprinkle of something else too. Mostly the quality of Love Island. Yeah, a sprinkle of like pseudo-academia. Yeah. Yes. Still yes, exactly. Show. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, what I love about that show so much is like I don't know, compared to like American TV like or American reality shows like the like more specifically like Bachelor or Bachelorette franchises is like Love Island there's no pretense in terms of it trying to like take itself seriously. Like mm-hmm. it knows, you know, when you have a narrator who is literally like a comedian making jokes about <laughs> yeah. the, the contestants, yeah. like there's no part of this show that is trying to be like the bachelorette which is like trying to have this like weird line of being like we're gonna have people do kama sutra poses while also like trying to like shoehorn in this like marriage plot and like <laughs> make it like seem wholesome and it's like yeah what who is this for movies. yeah yeah and so um i just like love island because they're just like this isn't trying to be some like weird wholesome situation this is what it is this is reality television and like we know we're going we to treat are, it as such <laughs> that is what we hope to do as well yeah exactly it's it's the fact that like everything ian says also ian is by far my favorite character on love island narrator of the the, mm -hmm. for all of our um audience members of which i believe there are more than 50 for our previous episodes 50,000 maybe even some might even say some might say 50,000 Um, for all y'all uneducated folks who don't watch Love Island, um, Ian is the beloved narrator and comedian, um, and really he has some hot takes. Yeah, he just says everything I've ever thought watching a reality show, and mm. the fact that somebody does that for me allows me to enjoy the rest of it, because then I don't have to rest with them. Just like, no, I agree, I think that's dumb too, but let's keep going. Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> it makes it very like voyeuristic, you know, like it's very easy to just engage in the watching rather than mm-hmm. the thinking. And uh, speaking yeah. of voyeuristic, uh, the article you sent, uh, the Kitty Nichols piece, uh, it's a paper, it's not an article. Um, mm-hmm. The Kitty piece uh, paper you sent us, um, I believe the main point, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, is 
um, the performance of masculinity, where mm -hmm. she asserts that this idea of one of the main theories of the way we think about masculinity is called uh, hegemonic masculinity. And she's trying to say that, yes, it does exist on Love Island, but it's actually more complicated than that. It's not just one. It's more nuanced. You have men performing masculinity in various different ways that, def that deviate from the hegemonic norm but you also have women who actually perform masculinity as well so i thought that i don't know i really like is that an accurate summary of what the piece is about <laughs> i think so i mean yeah i think that makes sense you know my, my guess is as good as yours so yeah i think I, I that's also a lot of what yeah i mean that aligns with like what i took away from it it was the overarching theme um so what, how do we feel, I guess, overall, what are people's reactions to the article? It, it kind of is interesting because like, it like, um, both confirms like kind of just things I had randomly floating in my brain around as I'm watching it. And then also like, obviously takes it farther and like grounds it in this like, theory and stuff like that. But I think that one of the things that I find most like I immediately found most interesting in like watching the show is how like, the contestants like almost create their own rules for like how you can like if you're interested in talking to um a person on the show that like maybe someone else had previously been like kind of flirting with or something like that like there's almost like they almost like establish rules for going about that and like you see that as like a um you see and you only really realize it's true when people like don't do them and people are like i can't believe that you didn't come talk to me before you went and um, had that, you know, started carrying on with uh, these other people, you know, <laughs> um, you know, and so I, I don't know, like, I think, you know, and then bringing it into like masculinity and all of these things. I, I don't know. I love, I love that like intersection of like Antonio Gramsci and like the do bit society, which for the listener is like a society that some of the groups, the guys in the group form, if they like, quote unquote, like feel that they've like, you know, gotten to a certain point with their, their person that they're interested in. Gotten yeah. to a certain, like, explicitly, like, sexual point. Yeah. Which mm -hmm. I think is important to, like, be clear about. Yeah. This. I would also say, like, one thing I w found interesting um, about the article is it brought up, like you said, like, you, you think things when you're watching it, but they're just kind of, like, fleeting thoughts, but this really, like, mm -hmm. put it into a more academic perspective, more fully fleshed out. Um, and I liked how that brought up how the women mimicked um, the mm -hmm. men's behaviors and like the Dubits society, right? Like the men started that they like they created this language for like what bits means and what levels are and stuff. And then women mimicked it with their own like uh, metaphors and such as the seasons uh, went on. I and, love the mm -hmm. academic me metaphors. Graduation, <laughs> that's yeah, a cool great time. <laughs> and it's just such a like, especially that particular metaphor, right? Like, really, like framing it as this true achievement that other people should yeah. applaud and that you should publicly like state that you have done um, is just like really fascinating. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I just even uh, before you even get to like the do bits, it starts with the way every contestant kind of 
has a similar value of like physical body appearance like mm-hmm. you get a similar kind of contestant and there's like variations obviously here and there but generally you get the same kind of like masculine and feminine uh, idealized types that come in and then to arrive there it's sort of that they form their own like microcosm of a society like you said Ashley making the rules of like this is how we do things and this mm-hmm. is a, which might be I think is very interesting barring the editing obviously because it shows us what it wants to show us but I think it's a very interesting study in how we form societies of like if you're forced to coexist with this number of people for x amount of time and you can't just leave how can we like how do you form your own society how does society like come to be i don't know maybe that's giving it too much credit as love island as a study of like societal formation and evolution but i think it's fascinating i think i i think that there's there was something that i read that is loosely tied to this in that um in the article talking about the more I, I think they called it marginalized or diverse uh, uh, like performances of masculinity um, mm-hmm. in the like the crying and the caring for people um, and showing men on screen doing this and like over the seasons like it becoming more and more accepted like mostly because of probably capitalism right because the ratings are better because people like seeing the crying um, especially from the men and such. Um, mm-hmm. And so I feel like in a weird, weird way, it does like, I'm not going to say Love Island moves the needle, but like, <laughs> <laughs> but like there's an, in- it's interesting how it's like a widely seen show, right? And it's not like high brow academic stuff. So it's not like there's a class component that like, oh, like upper class people can perhaps show like this emotion or something. It's showing mm-hmm. like re- quote unquote regular degulars, um, like, showing emotion and like men crying and all this sort of thing and so yeah not moving the needle but like it's an interesting like push but building on that too i think it's interesting how i think one of you guys like briefly touching on this too about how like it then um and you see this on the real housewives too where like once um you know you see the like a you know multiple seasons of a show is aired you see the like the show start to shift because like you know producers start to realize you know they were talking about in the article about how like um the produce you know because like producers know that like okay this certain type of like hyper masculine dude is like prized on the show they're like trying purposefully to bring on men that like they think represent that kind of stereo they're that like mm-hmm. archetype but then also you have like contestants and stuff kind of um playing up to what they think people want in certain ways and creating narratives like on the housewives that happens all the time where it's like you see it, some people that are I'm like oh you're definitely just like trying to like mimic what you think a real housewife should act like you know and not like your actual self and so I think that's also something that's super interesting about like where reality tv is in in today's world where it's like it's almost like a almost some in some ways becomes like a parody of itself or something mm-hmm. like that um I don't know I, think, I wonder if there's a difference between the characters who are mimicking what they think mm-hmm. um masculinity should be femininity a real house i should be a real 
Love Island contestants should be versus those who are able to shape what that definition is. Like, who shapes that definition? Is it the characters in themselves? Is it us, the viewers, and the characters together? And if so, is it all of them? Is it some of them? So I'm, I'm curious about where the agency and shaping of the definition is uh, can be found. Yeah, and, like, as us as viewers, like, I think sometimes, like, we can tell, like, in shows like that, we're like, oh, this person doesn't feel authentic, and, like, sometimes it's hard to understand exactly why, or, like, we don't like someone, and we don't really know why, and I think mm-hmm. that often that's, like, part of it is, like, you know, I feel like with Love Island, like, the people, they talk about, like, Dr. Alex, who's this guy who, like, is a, he's a doctor on the show, you know, a lot of which is very, you know, he's the only doctor on his season. A lot of them are in very different professions like that. And so he, and he's like not, he doesn't fit this like norm of like this like super hyper-masculine man and as a result struggles in the dating world, but like is really beloved in so many other ways. And so I think it's, or in, in like other settings, like outside the show and then also by like a lot of the, like is a friend by a lot of people in the show. So I think it's interesting to see where like, people are in some ways like rewarded for being themselves even though like they think that they have some other people think that they have to like act a certain way i don't know if that makes sense i think the interesting thing about him though is he eventually right like, yeah he like he he does succumb to, yeah like the the way in which the villa has agreed mas- like yeah. masculine men should perform mm-hmm. masculinity to like some uh, like pretty bad like a, a pretty bad moment right like some yeah not reviews. not good yeah not good. like went from yeah like, like a seemingly like good guy to right like not good people relatively quickly mm-hmm. because of like all this pressure press, pressure that i think he was partly accountable right for the dubit mm-hmm. society and stuff and they like yeah he's, he supported it like he just didn't yeah he wasn't inaugurated into it yeah but eventually like he got around to it i feel like it's a difficult thing to parse who's responsible like the mm-hmm. viewers with their ratings and like showing the producers what they like the producers monetizing on that the producers just liking to be messy and like mess people's lives up and then the actual <laughs> yeah. contestants messy. creating <laughs> right and then the actual contestants like like you said ashley like creating these like traditions and norms within the villa mm-hmm I think the one of the terms, um, uh, one of the ways that the cut, um, paper summarized something like that so well was that the success of such norms, like whether it's like Real Housewives, whether it's um, Love Island, it depends on uh, the collusion from other parties and in terms mm-hmm. of love island for uh, to the dubit society it was like the other men specifically like it wouldn't have taken off if i think it was founded by wes um uh, i think it was west was 2018 i think maybe but um it de- for the success of that idea really depended on every other man thinking is like oh i want to join that oh that's an idea that i want to join in. even like people like alex who the doctor who like really wasn't like making in but like he really was making some sort of effort and like recognizing that that this is the thing to or that this is the model to work towards and for our part i think and something the article could uh maybe didn't spend enough time on i think is the role of us as viewers 
in enforcing that not in this even in the season because there's live voting as well right mm -hmm. so like we can yeah. enforce those norms yeah. and we've yeah. enforced it in the negative like when we have women do what we call like tradition like male masculinities when we have women who are like more assertive going after the guys they want and quote-unquote breaking the girl code which is very funny another funny thing to think about in the context of yeah. island mm -hmm. but those are usually punished by being voted off the island uh, mm -hmm. and therefore like those behaviors are not all those sort of like subordinated or marginalized ways of expressing like masculinity or femininity are therefore like oh the society has said mm, not so good yeah yeah i think that like i think that's the other thing that makes love island so fascinating yeah like to your point is like that's people are are watching so for people listening to like if you don't know love island is there's 50 episodes in a season i think and they're um they're they air every night almost live like you know they're like i feel like they film it and then like air it the next day basically like cut it air it like together air it the next day so it's like pretty instant so like people are voting on like who they should think they should go home like who should get a certain date or whatever and so um i think that like the yeah to your point like the relationship between the viewers and the people um on the show is super interesting in a way that i feel like on other reality shows you don't hear people talk about like oh i wonder what the people at home think whereas like that's very much like top of mind and like openly discussed on on love island which mm -hmm. i think to your point like creates people like self-editing throughout the course of the season for like a specific storyline have you guys felt that you've fed into any of like these ideas or like the rules of what uh, you're supposed to do when you're on a show like that? Because I think I've fallen into it, um, specifically in this recent season, all the things that were happening with Kaz and people taking her man who's not really her man because can't own people, but like going on like dates and, and Toby and what, who was the girl that went after Toby again? which chloe yes chloe that's her anyway i just feel like i remember feeling some type of way when she did that and i was like well, you're not supposed to do that. i'm like that's what you're supposed to do to stay on the show but i remember feeling hurt that she was doing this to Kaz. and like i mean reading this article is very much that she had broken this rule of what i had understand and internalized that like the female contestants are supposed to do on this show i would complicate that by like putting in the like in race into the dis discussion and i think that like you liked kaz as a person a lot more than chloe but also like kaz is a black woman and i know for those of you listening i am not a black woman and i cannot speak to the black woman's <laughs> experience but like looking at it like chloe was this white woman who just like came in and you know yanked toby um and I feel like that happened to Kaz over and over. And even the contestants, the like, I think Yawande and like Amber, like Kaz, like they've all spoken at different points about like as a black woman on the show, like what their experience is and how different it is than the other girls on the show. It seemed that they've um, similar to like anyone like so I would put even someone like Dr. Alex on that like anyone who didn't fit the initial definition of what like the hegemonic masculinity or femininity is supposed to be it seemed that those people had in order to stay on the show depend on other things like being the caring one like being the emotional mm -hmm. one like they had to then like lean into other like other forms of 
um, I guess performance or like just mm-hmm. like expression in order to be able to like maintain their place, which I and thought to was be interesting. Yeah, to be valued if you didn't meet like the standard, the existing standard, then you had you could it was potential there was potential for you to forge like a new way. But yeah, I yeah, I definitely did feel some type of way about Kaz. And Yuande. Yeah. I miss Yuande. She was great. Um that kind of makes me think about Curtis and like we were talking about the masculine like body standards, um, as mm-hmm. well as like other like aggressive like the performances of masculinity that we're talking about like aggression and like this like gym bod physique um and like you know other components but curtis i felt like was slightly different than that like he did not have the gym bod and this man was a ballroom dancer and Mm -hmm. like so it was just like but he was clearly like the token one that was not the like gym bod dudes you know yeah 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 no it's super uh and then we got, obviously, we got Chris Hughes, who, through his, what can only be described as a messy AF relationship with Chloe? <laughs> Another Chloe? Uh, Olivia. Olivia. Olivia, I think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, Chloe's the one who went home. But, um, like, the way he was able to, like, combine and negotiate those two, like, he was, like, the more emotionally expressive one throughout their uh, tumultuous relationship, to say the least. But he also had that standard um, masculine physique and also behaviors. And the way he would flow in and out of them was very, very interesting to me. Which season was he on? I think... Four. Four, yeah, for yeah. So mm-hmm. you might have missed that one. Or pro- wait, no. So maybe it was three. I think it was three. Yeah, yeah. probably three. So <laughs> many, so many seasons. There so are many so many seasons. Yeah, and there's some who are there for like. There's so many Georgias for some reason. So many yeah. Chloe's. Like I'm just. I can't keep track. But yeah. actually, what I was curious about as uh, the more learned one on this pod about reality TV show, do you <laughs> think that this uh, paper, how do you think that, that it could apply to other shows? Do you see other trends where you could, and threads you can pull mm-hmm. on from other reality TV shows you consume? Definitely. I mean, I think that someone was talking about that and, and I would call myself definitely not a, I mean, I, I would say I'm also relatively new to re- all caveat for the listener. Like while, although I find reality TV very fascinating, also like relatively new, like didn't start until I started Love Island maybe in 2019 and then got on how some of the housewives fr- franchises and, and some like, are you the one, some other shows in, into 2020 and 2021. And I definitely think so. I mean, I think that so many shows for, like the housewives, for example, some, Someone on a, another po- this podcast, I think Las Culturistas, was talking about how, like, every Housewives franchise has a different, like, theme to it or something. Like, Housewives of Salt Lake City, it's, like, religion. All these women come from different religions. And Real Housewives of Potomac, they're dealing with, like, manners. They're also dealing with, like, colorism in a lot of ways. And so I think that whether or not it's, like, you know, hegemonic masculinity, like, she's this lens she's applying to um, Love Island and in this specifically season four, I think that so many things like this could be applied to other shows or, you know, are you the one there's this show where it's like a dating show in the U S but instead of um, where people like have like a secret match in the, um, in the house that they don't, and they don't know who it is and they have to like try to find who it is. But in usually it's like men and and women, um, like heterosexual men and women, but in season eight, it's, all people who are identify on the like, like gender or sexually fluid um, spectrum. And so 
their match could be anyone in the house. Oh, I want to watch that. And it's, that it's so really cool. good. Would highly recommend. It's super interesting. And you watch people like negotiate like gen like sexuality, gender in like norms and like try figure like negotiating, breaking these norms while in the context of also like finding this person who's supposed to be their match. And this is super interesting. So to your question, I think that like all of these sorts of kind of like sociological, like anthropological lenses can like certainly be applied to um, all kinds of, of different reality shows. If they're especially like the ones that we like love that are like edited well and like have interesting themes and interest in like dynamic characters and stuff. It is for sure not the intent of the producers, but I do think it's fascinating. I watch mm-hmm, a bit definitely. of Potomac. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't watched Salt Lake City, but I've watched a bit of Potomac, and I absolutely loved it. Loved it. Mm-hmm. As just <laughs> as you know, because I well, you put me onto it, and I texted you so much about it. Yeah, I was watching it. Some of the funniest lines I've ever like yeah. watched. It's. They put like Drag Race. Oh, I wonder if Drag Race falls into that's this. that's a really good point. I didn't even think about like Drag Race and I mean probably right, let's this. Let's go to Drag Race. So what I was going to say was probably not going to be anywhere near as entertaining as uh, moving on to Drag Race. Like I wonder where that falls on the spectrum because it is a reality TV show, and that's yeah. one where the theme is already like the primary theme is like negotiating these roles like gender and identity. Mm-hmm and uh performance both like literally or performance in the goffman sense of like performance of identity mm-hmm. so i wonder yeah i i think drag race is definitely a fascinating one in that yeah yeah i agree i mean it's definitely still like a microcosm of of people and um i think with drag race too one thing that's interesting so for you know context i guess you know rupaul's drag race it's for, I think 14 people in the beginning of the season or 12, 13, I don't know. But like, and they're competing across singing, dancing, sewing, like they're literally so talented across all these different mm-hmm. ways to try to um, win the crown and um, for the season. But like these women, or these, these drag queens are coming from all different backgrounds. And I think that it's often interesting because they'll often be like slotted into like, oh, she's a pageant queen. She's a comedy queen. She's all of these different things. And like, a, I think it's fascinating because, like, yeah, like you, it's such a um, micro, like a of putting on view like this very um, this like subculture in a way. And you like, I don't know, like through watching that, I learned like, you know, I didn't know the difference between a pageant queen and a comedy queen and like a camp queen before a year and a half ago. And now I could like spot one out, and I think that um, that showed is a really interesting like look into i guess my like one one way in which it does that is like it's a really interesting look into this like very specific community and like understanding it absolutely i'm also i love the way i like i really one of the things that i think always the one thing that always like makes me feel uh, when i watch drag race is when you have what i call like the bachelor bachelorette like famed like emotional um like monologues it's usually a very sad a very personal story but i think i've Mm -hmm. read a good amount of like that sometimes like it's not well done like the producers like Mm -hmm. want that out of the contestant for sure sort of like the agency to like what can you reveal 
I, I also yeah. think is is very interesting and I'm always like I don't know some of them I'm just like oh no like that doesn't feel I don't know this doesn't yeah. feel like for me it doesn't feel like this like it seems like that seems super personal and of course if they want to share it they should but sometimes they always sometimes it can feel oh. coarse and usually these are like very tragic stories as well and tragic experiences so like making people relive those traumas mm-hmm. on reality TV shows is very interesting to me yeah you can definitely tell when I mean you know that i think that's the thing that probably feels like the ickiest in terms of like for me and you know in some instances of reacting reality tv is feeling like oh this producer clearly like pushed this person to like tell the story or to like go and like do this insane thing that like they might regret be- but were like in the moment i'm sure like kind of talked into doing and mm-hmm. um so yeah i, I agree th- i think wasn't there an um i think the amy and curtis thing on love island their breakup i believe they were like forced to refilm it because of produce yeah and like this girl lost like 10 pounds she wasn't eating mm. like that she had to be sent home because she was like her mental health like went down the drain and but they forced her and curtis to refilm like the thing so that it was more watchable and wow so, like, yeah it, like, well you know somebody fact yeah. check me on that but i'm pretty sure that, that was happened. the first time i cried on love island that was, it was heartbreaking just very, yeah very that was a really for sad me to be watching yeah, and i, I can't like, believe I sh- that like they made them redo that like mm-hmm. how awful i'm gonna double check that real quickly but yeah no i don't know yeah i think that's actually a really good point on um how we as viewers engage like with this like some most of the time it's kind of funny watching love Mm -hmm. island seems like people know exactly what they're getting into Mm -hmm. but like sometimes like in the examples we just mentioned like amy and curtis when those lines get blurred i wonder to what level we as viewers and society can claim like complicity in like Mm really just like enabling these things that don't seem to be very good for the contestant like for their emotional and like mental health and sometimes physical health as well yeah i mean you can't talk about it without talking about like the few like you know over the course of however many years of wild island like there's been a couple like people who have gone on to commit suicide and stuff and it's like that can't be like uncoupled from like the i'm sure like deep in like you know shift that comes with like being risen to fame especially in the context of like british tabloids and all of that is just like so much more intense than i think even we understand british tabloids like that brings up Meghan markle which is a whole nother yeah 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 yeah, i don't know absolutely fascinating guys um i think uh that this is a wonderful place to start wrapping up this one great conversation on the elasticity of identity and uh gender expression on multiple tv shows and the kind of societies they create and we're gonna actually can thank you so much for bringing <laughs> some level of <laughs> academic insight into <laughs> what i usually go like i don't like her <laughs> can we just so. praise gloria real quick for that sentence yeah that was, that was a beautiful that, sentence that was very, very beautiful yeah it was even like, pseudo academic yeah. oh my god did it sound like it was ge- randomly generated by the yeah. mit <laughs> it sound like an mit random generator yeah <laughs> All right, highest praise. We'll be right back with our final and saddest section of the show.
All right. Thank you, everybody. Welcome back. Um, we're going to do the final section now, which is our little exit little exit ticket thing. Um, it's the brains, brawn, or beef. Uh, and we're going to ask our lovely guest, Ashley, to pick one of those. Um, so, Ashley, brains is, if you could please give our... Um, listeners, soon to be our subscribers, um, soon to be our endorsers, um, mm -hmm. a recommendation of some sort. So it could be like books or a person, or like a thing, a product, a phenomenon, whatever. Um, then other one is brawn, which is like, give us a flex, like tell us about something that you're like really proud of, you want to be praised for, or like just like a cool thing you did or discovered, whatever. Um, and then the final one is beef, like who or what are you beefing with right now? <laughs> Amazing. Wait, so just so I understand, it's all what I choose one or I'm you doing all one. three. Okay, cool. Um, I have I've had a beef top of mind, so I'm gonna go ahead and share it. And my so beef happy. is, it's not it's not a particularly um, inventive one, but I think it's a, a good reminder for those listening to please pick up your dog poop on <laughs> the street. As someone who lives in in New York City, um, I cannot count the amount of times that I almost step in people's dog poop. I think this can be expanded upon into like you know responsible dog owning. I think is really important as a dog lover. I think mm. that. Um, just because someone can, you know, get a dog doesn't necessarily does not um, necessarily mean that they are, um, you know, means that it, there's a big responsibility that comes with that. Mm -hmm. And you, you know, it's something that shouldn't be taken lightly. And I think that that involves, you know, you know, if you have a dog, don't have it um, poop in the middle of the street and then just leave it there as I walked by maybe four to five times today. And so this is as much of a beef as it is a PSA to please... <laughs> please pick up your dog poop. That resonates. I feel like, have either one of you been in Buenos Aires? Not to like put a city on blast, but like to put a city on blast. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. It is everywhere. It's What's up with everywhere. that? everywhere. Why is it everywhere in the streets? Ashley, like when you're walking on the sidewalks, like in when I was there <laughs> for like a whole summer, the I only ever looked down because you had oh to gosh. literally like sidestep poop every few like feet like you're playing the like don't step on a crack game but with dog poop it was insane oh my god it was disgusting that's your agility probably gets some footwork probably <laughs> gets good but that's that's not fun so wow i can i can only imagine i do want to add on your psa slash beef on specific about dog ownership one of the things that i'm just like please please get a dog that's appropriate for your environment and that yes. includes weather yes. if you are having a siberian husky in around the equator <laughs> what's that <laughs> like just get a weather appropriate dog it is more humane and it drives me crazy i live in a city where it's like pretty warm and it doesn't get like super cold and it's miserable miserably hot in the summer and when i see this very big dogs very obviously miserable dogs i always just oh it makes me so upset but anyway not to draw not to take over your beef but to take no over i your beef. yeah i have lots of yeah lots yeah of beef with no, dog I, owners yes 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 <laughs> who knew but <laughs> here we are here, here i am coming up judgment is a not as someone who does not own a dog so yeah also none yeah, of us do none of us <laughs> yeah well, but we're does. very concerned I, I consider those my dogs my mom no yeah. no yes but, like, you are an aunt are, at you know, best that 
I know absolutely not. Um, but I feel like mom, like that's a good example of like an appropriate type of dog for an appropriate environment. environment. Right. Border right. collies on a farm. Oh yeah. yeah. That's yes, their they get the space. They get this all the training. Dash. It's just like, and it's very simple. Like I get people like need emotional support animals, but like those animals also, you know, need support. <laughs> <laughs> and your 500 foot square it's a 500 square foot apartment is not an, ap- an appropriate size okay all right on that very hotly <laughs> <note>. contested <laughs> note i'm going to wrap us out thank you so much ashley for being our second guest and bringing us a wonderful wonderful topic i feel like i've learned a whole bunch you made me do you made me read a paper for the first time in like three to four years yes. and i was like very angsty at annotating it i don't know it was a, a lot of ptsd from like writing my thesis so much considering i'm taking notes in the same notebook that i have thesis <laughs> notes in. <laughs> yeah there's no like a psychological it's, uh you know yeah it's been a ride <laughs> yeah yeah um also thank you ashley for participating in our first ever um podcast episode that is actually in the amount of time that we intended for it to be so to all our listeners who have made it this far shout out to us for being under an hour yes all right thank you pat self on back thank you ears for being a wonderful great co-host as well and thank you listeners for sticking with us again i'm I'm as surprised as you are too, but I'm very grateful. (laughs) (laughs) I will talk to you guys next time.